Thank you for choosing our podcast. This is truly an exciting time for City Lights Church, and we are seeing God move in extraordinary ways. For more information on how you can get plugged into what God is doing at City Lights or to financially partner with us, just visit us on the web at citylightsac.org. Stay connected with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us by searching at City Lights AC. Tune in every Sunday as we stream live through Facebook live stream. And I can't believe the price you pay for me, what you did not owe, so that I could know you. And how can it be that you chose someone like me to declare your praise for the glory of your name? See, I love this right here. How can it be that God would choose someone like me? Me? Amen. How can it be? Because of his great love. Because of his mercy. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've come to have church. We went here last week, and so I'm, I've got some things to make up for us when I'm feeling like this morning. So I do want, because listen, man, this is not just like to make you feel good. I'm being honest. I wonder how could God choose someone like me, a mess up, a sinner, like me, to declare his praise for the glory of his name. Last week we started a series going to the book of Philippians and, and our church plan intern Derek McCarter kicked it off for us and I love it. He, he spoke about being free and fully alive in Christ because Christ didn't come and, and die and rise again so we could walk around in mediocrity. He came so that we could live abundantly not in shame and guilt and remorse and sorrow. Abundantly. And at the end of chapter 1, Paul talks about, he says, this one thing, you know, live your life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Basically what he meant was live in Christ. Be free and alive. He picks up in chapter 2 where we are this morning, with right where he left off, living in Christ and, and being free. He's writing to a church at Philippi, Paul's in prison. He has planted this church. He since left, and his faith has caused him great pain. And he finds himself in prison. And he's writing back to them. He's just got done. Hey, live a life in Christ. And we pick up chapter two this morning. He says, "If then, if then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, and these are what is the if clauses. It's almost rhetorical. He's not assuming." that he's basically it's a presumption he's presuming that if you're in Christ you're going to have some love and we shared this morning assumption is, is based off a of guess I, I assume that we were going to play some music this morning so, yeah, I would guess but presumption is determined off the basis of probability and it's most likely probable that if you've experienced Christ you're going to have some encouragement and love so it's rhetorical it's, he's not assuming it he's, he's saying hey it's like this if you're going to go to church this morning, which you, you're here, you better get there and worship. So he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, 
if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, notice he says, fulfill my joy, not fulfill the joy of the Lord. Interesting. Back in this church, they, they had a great respect for Paul, the apostle Paul, the apostolic Paul. And no doubt that Paul spoke on behalf of the Lord and he cared about things of the Lord. But here you see Paul saying, hey, listen, if we have these things, then we need to be thinking in the same way, having the same love, sharing the same, here you see, unity, feelings, focusing on one goal. How many of you know that people today have their own agenda? And I mean this with all due respect. Many of you have come here this morning with your own agenda. Many of you watching online, you have your own agenda in your spiritual life, in your finances, in your relationships. You have your own agenda. And if it does not benefit you, Paul says we've got to be focusing on one goal, unity. And this is what he says. He says, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit or rivalry, however you would like to say it. Do nothing out of that. But in humility, in humility, consider others. Take me here. It's more important than yourself. What a concept for the 21st century that we would put other people before ourselves. And one could assume that this is a human nature to be selfish. Paul's writing this 2,000 years ago, and I very well could be speaking this to you today. There's something in our nature that wants us to be first, what I need. He says, do nothing see, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone, everyone should look out not only for his interest, and this is not gender specific. You must understand that Paul is writing to the elders and deacons and leaders of the church, so it's a general statement. Everyone should look out not only for his interest, but also for the interest of others. And I just believe this with all my heart. If you're here today, watching a line and you're not even sure what you think about Jesus, spiritual things, I assure you this is a good principle to live by regardless. That we should look out for the needs of those besides ourselves. If my brother's hurting, then I feel that way. If my brother is sad, then I feel that sorrow. And so what I'd like to talk with you about for the remainder of our time this morning as we're in chapter 2 and going to go through a few more, a few more verses is this idea of attitude adjustment. Do you know anybody that needs an attitude adjustment? Are you sitting beside anybody this morning that needs an attitude adjustment? Hey, if you're ready to hear a word from the Lord this morning, let's celebrate. Thank you. You may be seated. Excellent job. Excellent job, worship team. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Last week, my wife and Ariel and I, we took uh, a Sunday off, which is very rare. I can count on one hand, how many times we've done that since we started this church, but it was sometimes you got to get away, right? Sometimes you got to spend time with your significant other. And listen, it was amazing. We went on a weekend trip and we didn't have our kids. And I was like, our God is an awesome God. He reigns. It was great. We had a good time and I appreciate Derek Ricarder, uh, bringing the message and work, just everything happening here. Um, we, we were able to watch online. It was just an incredible time, and so I'm excited to be back with you this morning. I love teaching, and we're in this series, and this morning I'm going to teach a little bit more than I preach, so I need you to hang with me, but would you guys care? I, I missed you last week, so I want to share a funny story with you that has nothing to do with the message. Are you okay with that? I want you to let you know, like, it's going to be a hard turn. I had, there's not, I'm, I'm not going to be able to connect the dots. It's just a story that I want to tell you. 
So let's see, I guess this was probably like, I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday night. I'm sitting out, Errol and I, my wife, we live in the city of Clinton, and um, I was sitting out on my porch. It was like, I don't know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock, and I'm out there on my phone just kind of messing around on Facebook, and this car comes by in front of our house, and I see somebody throw a bunch of wrappers out in the yard. Now listen, I would not say that I'm an old person, but I would say that I am getting older. I'm not in my 20s anymore. I'm a couple years, several years into my 30s, and what I've noticed is that I am changing what I care about as I get older a little bit. I've got kids now and a wife, and normally, listen, in my 20s, that was probably me. And definitely in my teens, that was the least of the things I was doing was littering in front of people's house. But something happened. I'm sitting there, and I look up, and they've got their music blaring, okay? And I love loud music, but it's just, it just, and they roll down that window and throw a bunch of trash out. And listen, my blood pressure went from this to this. And I said, oh, no, they didn't. And we live right on the corner of a stop sign. So the car gets to the stop sign. And this, we have some, some neighbors across the street. Uh, they have a high schooler. And it went up being some of his friends. They backed into the driveway, and I'm just sitting there like, you know, a thousand, like I've thought basically I've thought of murder to praying for them all in the span of like five seconds. Like, you know, what am I going to do? And so one of the friends comes out, and I'm like, hey. I holler like redneck across the street. <laughs> hey, you need to tell your friends in that car that they need to pick the trash up out in the road. And he says, okay. And I'm like, listen, I'm feeling about 6'4", 250 at that moment, Okay. <laughs> So he walks up to the back of the window, and I'm here, I'm standing, you know, probably wearing like house shit. I ain't, ain't washing my hair all day, you know. And, and he walks up to the car, and he, he talks to him, and then they pull out. And I said, did you tell him? And this is what he said. He said, man, I, I understand what you're feeling. Uh, he said, but I'm just not going to say anything to him. I was like, okay, well, that's cool. So this is what I did, and I've never done this before. I marched my happy butt out my fence. I went to the room. Picked it all up, ran to their car. I don't know what happened to me, okay? <laughs> Beat on the back window, and they kind of, it's tending, they kind of roll it down, their eyes peep up, and I said, hey, you dropped this over here. You need to take this back. And I hear somebody, some young kid in the back say, you know, very politely, of course, not, about, it's just Taco Bell, man. I was like, you know what? I don't really care what it is. I just need you not to litter in front of my house if you don't care. And this one, one lady said, okay, sir, we're sorry. And I said, yeah, you better be sorry. <laughs> and then, like the next morning, I told Errol, I was like, hey, I don't know what got into me. I like, went old man all of a sudden. And we need to be checking our cars if they don't slash our tires or egg it. <laughs> I don't know what happened to me. But, hey, I just thought of it. My attitude's changing as I get older. I'm good. My attitude's changing. I don't know, it was just funny because I'd never done anything like that. And now, like, every, like this morning, I woke up to see if Errol's car's tires were slashed. And kids are mean these days, man. Kids are mean. Attitude adjustment. Attitude adjustment. I love that Paul is he's talking to the church there. You must understand this letter that he's writing to, uh, to the church there. It's to believers, okay? If you're here this morning and you're not really sure where you're at in all your faith, that's all good, okay? I'm not excluding you. I just want you to understand the context of who Paul's writing to because that determines how we interpret it, right? In terms of how we interpret it. And, and he's talking here to consider others more important than yourself. And I just want to get us all on the same page this morning, if we can, for those who will be honest. How many of you would say that you can be pretty selfish? 
I'm being really honest to say I can. I appreciate your truthfulness. How many of you would say that being humble, living a life of humility is something that you could probably work on a little bit harder? All the proudful people are like, no, I'm good. Paul is admonishing the church there to live in humility and to consider others as more important than themselves. And what a great principle. He's talking about focusing on one goal. And you know what kind of harmony happens when people live that way, particularly when churches gather that way with one, with one goal, and that is to make Christ known. For us, we, we think that that looks like planting more churches, taking missional trips, launching more communities. And it's really difficult, honestly, in a world with ourselves, as, as we are, as honestly, as jacked up as we are, to be humble. It's tough. But the Word of God promises that if we'll humble ourselves before the Lord, He'll lift us up. We also know that when we get prideful, we're soon to fall. And so I wanted to share this idea with you. When it comes to humility, humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. Humility doesn't mean I I devalue what Jesus did on the cross for me. What it means is now I put value on other people's and think of myself a little less often. And so that's basically what Paul's telling the church there is, hey, listen, I'm not saying that you're not worth it. Christ died for you. But what I'm saying is you need to stop thinking of yourself so much and put the interest of people around you before you. Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. This is difficult for us to do because we are by nature very selfish, very sinful. And so Paul is telling them, hey, listen, let's have one goal. Let's be of one mind. Let's put people before us. Let's think, our, let's think of ourselves I'm just a little bit less than we normally do and see what happens when we begin loving other people. And then, then he makes this transition that's really, really important for us to hang on to. Now, I'm going to teach a little bit this morning, and so I need you to hang with me. This is verse 5. So he's just gave them these if clauses, and now he tells them, hey, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. And I feel like this is a very powerful statement because this is a potentially very hard thing to do. To make our attitude that of Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you permission to speak, and I'm going to ask you that you be mature about it, okay? Just with some one-word descriptions. What kind of attitude did Jesus have? I'm not asking you to quote Scripture. I'm not asking you to say your favorite Bible verse. Love. Yep, what else? Humble. Humble. Teacher. Teacher. Patience, compassion, graceful, forgiving. forgiving. Did you say it at the same time? <laughs> giving. Oh, okay, nice. Nice. See what the Spirit's doing in here? A <laughs> couple other things. What was the attitude of Jesus? Positive. positive. Amen. Good Lord. How many Christians need a positive attitude these days? <laughs> he was perfect. Awesome. He was awesome. Amen. I used to know, oh, I still know a guy. I don't know why I said I used to. He's not dead. He's still alive. But I know a guy that used to say, hey, man, I, 
if someone had said awesome, he would say, hey, don't, don't say that. Only Jesus is awesome. And he was serious about it. A, a few more. What was the attitude of Jesus? Unbiased. And what else? Faithful. Faithful. Amen. Yeah, he was unbiased. So when we see this, and we hear everything you just said, and so much more, it could be really easy for us to, to not be able to connect with that. So I want to share this thought with you. We're going to keep moving. Don't admire from a distance. It says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. It could be very easy for us to admire that from a distance. What I mean is, hey, I'm in Christ, but that compassion thing, that pray for my enemies when I really want to strangle them, that love my neighbor whose friends litter in front of my house crap. <laughs> that forgiveness thing. It's really easy for us to see this, make your attitude of Christ Jesus, and for you to distance yourself from it. Be like, hey, that's great and all, and I love Jesus, and I go to church, and I pray, and I believe in him, but I'm just not there yet. It's so easy for you to make an excuse. Amen? And so I wanted to challenge you this morning. Don't admire this, this, basically this plea from Paul to say making your attitude that. Because it's so easy to get wrapped up in all those things. And say, you know what? I'm, I'm trying. I'm not there yet. Or I need a little bit more sanctifying in my life before I can do that. And so I, I, I want to make sure that you understand that when it says to make your attitude that way, to make your own attitude, to have that attitude adjustment, you must understand in the totality of Scripture what it speaks about how we, how we get to that area. And Romans 12 says that we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which means we make a conscience, we make a conscience effort and decision to say, okay, hey, I'm not going to think about those things anymore. Jesus said, hey, if I look at a woman lustfully, I basically I've had sex with her, right? He changes the standard so it's not like, well, at least I didn't sleep with her. Now he raises the bar. So if you have hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. So you've got to begin to adjust the way you think, to have this attitude adjustment, to make yourself that way. You've got to be transformed. You've got to change what you care about. And honestly, it's a struggle. And I know this because I've sat through sermons, and I've sat in church, and I've been there. I know what it's like to be sitting right where you're at and think of something that you thought will send you straight to hell. Right? <laughs> You'll just be mind-wandering thinking, my God, how did I get there? <laughs> I get it. You've got to just make those little bit of adjustments and don't admire it from a distance and think, hey, I'll be there someday. No, you are there today because of what Christ did. You've just got to step into it and make a few little adjustments. Now, listen, Paul goes into something that we're fixing to get kind of deep just a minute. So I hope you brought your floaties this morning. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Don't admire it from a distance. And we're carrying on in verse 6. So make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage when he came to earth. Okay? Verse 7 says, Instead, he emptied himself. If you're taking notes like all good little Christians do, I want you to highlight, or if you're following along with us on new version. Take a note of that word emptied. We're going to come back to it. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. So here we talk, we see when he 
came in flesh. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And I love Paul says this, and you have to understand, I'll tell you why. Even to death on a cross. So today when I think about like, let me tell you, like, you know, like Hebrews chapter 11 talks about heroes of the faith. It's Abraham and Noah and all these, you know, big giant superstars. But heroes in the faith today, for me, are these people who live in these foreign countries and they're getting martyred for their faith. They're on their hands and knees and they said, if you don't convert to Islam, you'll get your, and they say, whom shall I fear? And they die for their faith. Those are heroes to me. They should be to you as well as we gather comfortably this morning in this nice building. When it says that he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross, it was a curse to die on a cross. You read about it in Deuteronomy and Galatians. It was a curse to be hung from a cross. And so that just adds to just the, the imagery and the understanding that, you know, God sent his son and he, he humbled himself by coming a man in the flesh and he, he went to, to death, even to a cross. And so here's what happens in this basically 6 through 8, verses 6 through 8 we find what we call the kinesis passage, okay? The kinesis passage. And this is the doctrine of Christ's self-emptying. It's found in verse 7. I told you to underline that word empty, and now you're thinking, I should have underlined that word empty. And so what it, where, where this theology comes from is that when it says that he emptied himself there's this theological reasoning and debate that there was a lot of things that Christ came, that he gave up. We must be clear, you must understand this. How many of you know that Christ's existence did not begin at a manger in Bethlehem? He's always been. He's always been. Derek, if you will, please bring those for me. Y'all give Derek Carter a round of applause. Rocking that sweet beard and that sono shirt. <laughs> the Kenosis passage, it deals with the doctrine of Christ self-emptying. I want to make sure and help you understand that this, this, this emptying was not an exchange from deity to humanity. What I mean is he did not give up being God to come be human. He was both, right? He was fully God and fully man. If you're following along on version, we actually put a couple extra scripture in there that you can look up for yourself to see what I'm talking about. But to give you a great example um, that there were some things that basically I would say you could consider it this way. He did not exchange deity for humanity. You could consider it this way. And I use this term loosely. Consider it he operated under limited... Um, conditions sometimes. Uh, so look at Hebrews 5.8. This is probably the greatest example I know how to show you. Hebrews 5.8, please. It says, though he was God's son, he learned obedience. So if Christ knows everything, then how could he learn something? Well, it's because he was fully God and fully man. Do like this if it makes sense. Some of you are like, what's going on here? Though he was God's son, fully God, he learned obedience. And the idea that this, there were some things he 
emptied himself up, right? It wasn't that he was not divine. It's just that he was both. I need you to say amen if it makes sense. Okay, I've got the majority. I'll keep moving on. And let me show you what I'm talking about here. Because Christ did not begin life in Bethlehem, we understand that he came to earth in the form of a baby, and he learned to walk, and he learned to talk. The kenosis passage where it says he emptied himself is that he basically operated under limited uh, restrictions, if you will, sometimes. This is a great example that it says that he learned obedience, okay? I hope that I'm making sense of this so that you see that when, when Christ came, there were some things that theologians believe he gave up. Now, I'm going to ask you again and give you permission to speak. You should feel very special. But don't even use the privilege, okay? Or this will be the last time it happens. <laughs> what would you say that when Jesus came from heaven, what would you say, just one word description, are some things that he gave up? Comfort. I, I'm guessing nobody's ever been to heaven. Is that why you can't tell me? <laughs> I'm kidding. He gave up comfort. What else? Angels. What else? He gave up peace. What else? Pinch, poke, you owe each other a Coke. That's good. Yeah. What else? Hunger. Hunger. Say again. Paradise. Paradise. What else? Eternity. Temptation. Some of you guys are thinking, I need to read my Bible a little bit more. Well, no doubt, he gave up being in the presence of the angels. Did you know that all day, every day, there is no time, but for our understanding, the angels just circle around the throne of God singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what they're doing right now while you're drifting off thinking about something crazy as I preach. He gave up the presence of the angels. Pretty incredible, would you say? He left it there. And there are many things, but as I was praying, he certainly gave up eternity, but momentarily, right? Because he defeated death and rose again and ascended back. And listen, I, I don't want to be insensitive to anybody in here that's lost a loved one. I've lost loved ones. I have friends and family that are in heaven. But I assure you, please stop making these ridiculous feel-good statements that like, you know, they're up there watching down and they're keeping an eye on you. No, 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 no. You don't understand eternity. They're sitting around the throne of God with Jesus at the right hand. I assure you that they're not watching if you're eating double mashed potatoes at Apple Blossom Cafe, okay? <laughs> eternity, the Father, the angels, the Spirit. He left that. Pretty remarkable, right? And that's the kinesis that he emptied himself. But I want to flip the script on you this morning because I like to flip things upside down a little bit. And I want to talk to you about this idea of what he took on. What he took on. 
when he came in the form of a man. He took on judgment. And do you know who judged him? Religious people. Religious people. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty crappy exchange to leave the presence of the angels to take on judgment. But do you know why he did it? For you. For you. He left the presence of the angels to take on hatred. He was hated, despised, and rejected. Called a drunkard. I don't know about you, but leaving eternity to take on hatred does not seem equal. Do you know why he took on hatred? Do you know why he was beaten and mocked and scorned and spit on at the cross? For you. That ought to cause your attitude to change just a tad bit. Somebody in here, you get consumed with this. It's a woman who continuously gave her body away and now you're feeling like you're unworthy. It's a man who's cheated and lied and stole. Christ took on shame so you don't have to. He took your shame. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things I could be shameful for and I'm grateful that my Savior took them for me. And he took on the sin of the world. We just sang it. He came and basically paid a price he did not owe so that we could know him. Now, now listen, under this sin is everything you have, you will, or ever struggled with. That's what he took on on the cross. Your skepticism, your pain, your anger, your pride, your resentment, your addiction your lust. And I don't know about you, but in my mind, it's hard to fathom why someone would leave this to take on this. But do you know why he did? For you. And then lastly, all that, he took on death. Took on death. And I don't mean to be insensitive. I just want to kind of nudge in your butt a little bit. Many of you woke up today thinking, am I going to go to church today? Or am I going to, does God love me? And are we good? You and him have been good. He, he took death so that you could have life. So maybe some of you this morning, you just need to make this little adjustment and say, okay, how can it be that he would take on all this crap? And better yet, some of you need to quit putting him through this when he's already taken it on. And just walk in the life that he's given you. And just claim it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. So, there was things he emptied himself of, but what, what's more and equally amazing to me is what he took on from this world. And so I think what's important for us to understand from this is I can't pass on what I don't take on. Amen? I can't pass on responsibility to my son, Dylan, if I don't take on the responsibility of being a man. I can't take on and pass on what I'm not willing to uh, acknowledge 
and allow it to rise up in me. There are some things that I've got to pass on as a Christ follower, but I can't if I don't take them on. And what I'm saying is Jesus was able to pass on joy because he defeated death. He was able to give you confidence because he overcame shame. So I cannot pass on to my church what I don't take on. If I don't feel joy, I can't give you joy. I can't pass on forgiveness if I don't receive the forgiveness that Christ has given me. What are some things that you need to take on this morning? Huh? Is it forgiveness? Let me tell you, let me tell you what one of the most dangerous things in the church is right now. And when I say church, please always understand I'm not talking about a building, okay? When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't for a building at 403 Market Street. One of the greatest diseases and viruses in the church today is pride. So prideful. You know, that's completely contrary to the life that Jesus lived. It said because he humbled himself to the point of death. And it always amazes me. There's conversations I have with people, and I'm very, very honest about my past of drug use and sex drugs, rock and roll. And then I'll talk with people, and they'll say things like, well, my testimony is really boring because I didn't, you know, do things like that. Well, good for you, Patty Mayonnaise, but listen. We're all, we're all jacked up. We're all in need of grace. It took just as much grace to save this side of the room as it did this one. And this is what we believe at City Lots. And man, sometimes I wonder, like, there's things I say sometimes. I'm like, dude, why did you say that? But I can, I I feel pretty confident saying that this, that I know there are people here that struggle with pride, and I've been through addiction, and the way I see people living in pride, I promise you, there's a lot of similarities there. So what are some things that you need to take on this morning? Maybe you need to take on the joy. Maybe you need to take on the forgiveness. Hey, listen, maybe you need to, here's the thing. Maybe you need to receive forgiveness from the Father before you can pass it on. And I want to, God, I just feel led to say this. When, when people say things like, I just can't forgive, no, you just won't forgive. And, you're, and inevitably someone's sitting there thinking like right now, Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what this person did to me. It's been my, it was my life or they, they took advantage of me or they molested me or they stole from me or they ripped my heart out. My brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're not careful, you do the exact same thing to the Father every single day. What do you need to take on so that you can pass on? When you pass that on, you begin to consider others as more important than yourselves. Paul goes on after this kinesis passage and perhaps some of the most beautiful scripture in the New Testament. He says, For this reason, 
God, God, excuse me, highly exalted him, Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name. Isn't it amazing that the name of Jesus is so universal? No name is better well known. No name causes more emotion or tension. It is the name above every name, and according to Acts 4, it is the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. Look, so that the name, you know there's power in the name of Jesus, right? So that the name of Jesus, listen, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess. And you can basically replace that word should with will. And every tongue will confess at some point that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. And you must understand this. I just want to teach this for the last second for those of you who may be going this route. This does not mean universal salvation, okay? Some will say this in faith, and perhaps some will say it too late. We will confess. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why did the Father allow Jesus to become uh, uh, obedient in the form of a man to the point of death and give up eternity in the presence of angels and take on all these sin and shame? For the glory of His name. For the glory of His name. This morning, perhaps, we all need some attitude adjustment in here. We need to make our attitude that of Christ Jesus. And here's the good news for all of us. None of us are Him, so you can stop trying to be Him. And you can just be who you are, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And perhaps today you'll get up and walk out of here. And you'll, you'll click just a couple adjustments, and you'll begin to feel the love of the Father. You'll begin to feel the forgiveness. You'll begin to feel the urgency to share that love with someone else. You'll begin to feel this desire. I've got to take this on so that I can pass it on. And ultimately, you won't admire it from a distance. Isn't it amazing when we think about all that he's done for us, all that he will do for us, so that we can live in the fullness of all of his promises? That's what he wants from you today. The greatest attitude you could have today as one that just receives Him. God, we thank You so much for this morning. We thank You so much for this day. We thank You for the opportunity to gather in Your name. We thank You, Father, that You're so good for us, that You're so good to us. God, help us to make our attitude that of Christ Jesus. Help us to make some, some adjustments to consider other people more important than ourselves and to take on the attitude of Your Son, Lord, with compassion and, and forgiveness and, and understanding. And then God, help our minds to wrap around this fact that he, he took on so much, Lord. He gave up some, but he took on so much that honestly, God, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe the price that you paid, God, so that we could walk in the fullness and the promises of who you are. And I can't believe. Will you stand and sing with us? The price you pay for me.
Hey, this is Pastor Peyton, and I just wanted to personally say thank you for connecting with us on our podcast and listening to today's message. I pray that God spoke to you. I pray that you're hearing Him, that God is showing you the way and His plan for your life and how great that is. And more importantly, I hope that you take what you learn and you put it into action where you live, work, and play. Again, thank you so much, and God bless you.